Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we're going to talk about narcissistic parents. And so this topic stems from a listener email, and this is a listener who grew up with narcissistic parents. And I want to start off by saying we don't have a lot of details. And so we're going to make this very general. And so what this listener was inquiring about is mainly that she grew up with narcissistic parents and she is healing from trauma that they have caused. That's all we know. She also wants to know about how to consciously make sure she doesn't repeat those same behaviors with her own children. Is Mm -hmm. is another thing, which I think are both very valid concerns. And I also want to start off by saying that, and we talked about this last week that, you know, you made the comment, no one escapes childhood unscathed. unscathed." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's uh, Marvel Hendrix says that. Yes. And, you know, I think most parents, and I don't know anything about this listener's parents, right? But I think in general, most parents are trying to do the best they can. And I know you're an advocate for that. That doesn't mean they always do, but I just don't want people to think we're attacking parents. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important to say that at the start that I really believe most parents are doing the best job they can. And so even if you take the idea of narcissistic parents, I think I've said before in in our episode where we talked more about personality disorders, I talked about an an old professor I had, Lorna Benjamin, and she she said, you know, give me six months with a child and I'll give you any personality disorder you want, which implies that it's really about behavior and parents raising the child. Now, I think the thinking nowadays is different, that it's a combination of, you know, what we call nature and nurture. So, you know, how you're brought up is the nurture part, and then the nature part is, there's almost, I would say to every issue, there's a genetic component. And it's just that it's really hard to tease out the genetic component. And typically the way it works, I think, in both physical health issues and mental health issues is that if you have the genetic component for something, then it acts, You what you need is typically a trigger. So, okay. you know, the parents are doing something that then triggers this reaction within you and you develop, you know, a let's say, narcissistic personality disorder. So there's a a parenting component and a genetic component also to most everything. And I think also it's good to maybe point out that it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent that can trigger it. Oh, that's true. I mean, I think any childhood trauma could trigger it. Right. right? And uh, yes, childhood trauma will probably trigger different uh, personality disorders. So it's unlikely that it's going to trigger a narcissistic personality disorder. That's going to be something pretty specific with the primary caregiver. So let's just do a brief review of what what is a narcissistic personality disorder. And then again, I want to remember listeners that, you know, out of all these things we're going to mention, it's not like if you have some of them, then you're a narcissist. I mean, it's a pattern that emerges and then, you know, you don't even need all of them to be a narcissist. So these are just, I don't know that you'd call them general guidelines. These are just things that often occur with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. So it's a mental disorder. And the the most common thing that you see is this inflated sense of their own importance Mm -hmm. and then the lack of empathy 
which we've talked about a lot. There's an amazing lack of empathy. They need admiration from others. They don't have empathy for others. And then this next statement is one that I've, I don't know how true it is. A lot of people think that behind that mask of being ultra confident Mm -hmm. is a very weak self-esteem and a fragile self-esteem. And I think possibly since I was uh, in school a long time ago, that the thinking on this has changed. And so I'm willing to accept that, that most narcissists have at the core of fragile self-esteem. When I learned it, what we divided them into two parts, one being a true narcissist who really thought they were great and mm-hmm. had a very strong self-esteem. Yep. And then what we called the other one was, at least the word I used was compensatory narcissism. And what it is is when your self-esteem is so low, you flip it over almost on its side so that you then become really, it, it's a way to compensate for the low self-esteem. You then shift in your mind, I'm really great. And it's just, that is a really weak self-esteem. So I think I just want to let listeners know The things I've said in the past with those two, that may not be the current thinking. As I read more about it, I think most people are thinking that most narcissists generally underlying it have a very weak and fragile self-esteem that's pretty vulnerable to even the slightest criticism. Right. And something else that you've said in the past that I would like to point out is that in order for it to really be a personality disorder is it has to create problems yes. in your relationships. Right. So right. I mean, well, in, in various aspects of your life. Yes. Yes. It has to be a problem. Sometimes people can just be quirky and sometimes people can just genuinely have an inflated ego and not be a narcissist. They can have an right. inflated ego and still have healthy, normal, happy relationships. Yes, that, that's true. And, and that's important for listeners to understand. So yeah, it has to cause problems. I mean, if you think of the different domains that we work in, so work, relationships, family, that's relationships, friends. So if it causes problems, you know, in your social world, then that's when it moves. In fact, in all the criteria for the diagnosis, I think it always says that in almost everything it says it's got to it's got to cause a problem in your life mm-hmm. yeah so statistically it's really hard to you know i've heard everything from 6% up to 15% you know in the general population people are narcissists i don't know that that really matters i think that mm-hmm. it exists and there are parents who are narcissists and it causes some pretty serious problems for the kids yeah. And so, so yeah, first I want to mention an episode that we did last year on July 8th, where we talked okay. about different types of personality disorders. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to that, we did a pretty good job of explaining some of the different types. So yeah, let's go ahead and jump right into the effects of narcissism on children. You know what it's like to be the child of a narcissistic parent. And last week we talked about how you know, kids' brains are, all these different neurons are firing and they're developing. And that's your norm. When you're a child and your parent is a narcissist, that's just your norm. You don't understand anything else. 
Right. But it also, your brain is, you know, all these connections are being made and that's why it becomes a problem. Well, I think it's a problem as a kid, but it certainly becomes a problem as an adult. So see, here's some of the common issues. And I just want to say, I've certainly treated children of narcissistic parents and I have personal relationships with people who fall into that category. And it's really, really difficult to grow up as a child of a narcissist. And some of the reasons are the the narcissist it's all about them yeah and the child is seen almost as an extension of the parent and the child only exists to fulfill the needs of the parent and so what happens is then that child doesn't develop an appropriate self concept Mm-hmm. and self-image and typically so that's one thing that's that's really difficult because they're just they're just there to serve the needs of the narcissistic parent which man that is so backwards I, is, I mean yes I, to me as a parent i was like you know i i exist to serve the needs of my children <laughs> right <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> well because that's how we keep them alive and growing yeah exactly it, as a parent at least for me, what I wanted and really what I want for my grandchildren is to for them to become adults that are uh, what I call self-regulating and independent and mm-hmm. functional adults. People but, you would like to hang out with someday. Right, right. And so the narcissist, though, that's not how they're raising their children. Yeah. You know, they want. So, for example, it would not be uncommon for the narcissist to want the child to hang around and take care of him. In fact, I just saw someone in my office this week where that's the issue. You know, the parent is a narcissist. The client married a narcissist. That goes yep. back to Harville Hendricks' idea. You know that we are unconsciously attracted to people who replay those family of origin issues. And so, her mother's a narcissist. She marries a narcissist, and the, the mother truly expects you know the the client to take care of her and she's you know and she's in her 60s and so that's the problem is there's no like as your your children are too are probably too young how old's your oldest i forgot she's nine okay so you know you've got another four or five years before they start doing that independent thing right yeah. in, mm-hmm. in adolescence and so in a way that's difficult to to do as a parent mm-hmm. right yeah. but that is the goal Yes. But not for a narcissistic parent. Okay. That, that is not the goal for them to be independent. And in fact, for them to, for the child to become independent becomes really threatening okay. to the parent. So for instance, what if the child is more successful or what if the child is better at something than I am as a narcissistic parent that becomes threatening. So I'll do whatever I can to kind of tamp that down. Mm-hmm. And so the narcissistic narcissistic parent doesn't really let the child come to that full potential. Yeah. And so one of the things that gets messed up is boundaries. Yes. And, um, you know, if people listen to me on the radio, I think every week we're talking about boundaries. Yes. And, and I think that certainly in, in trauma, we talked about it, how boundaries get broken. And certainly with narcissistic parents, it's just a lack of appropriate nurturing and boundaries. And so, I mean, if you can see, we, as, as even as kids, even you can't verbalize it, but I think you have this sense, my parent ought to be taking care of me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when that doesn't happen, see, that is a, let's call it a violation of the boundary. I mean, the boundary is parents, t- as you just said, parents take care of kids. 
Yes, absolutely. Supposed to be. And so when it gets flipped, then what happens is they, the child grows up to be an adult and they don't have very good boundaries. Mm-hmm. So well, let me go over some very specific things. Yes. So narcissistic parents, they use the child. I mean, that's the best okay. way to talk about it. The child is being used. Now, I've talked about before when parents are parenting in an ineffective way, there's power differential. Yes. Is hard because the child can't say anything. Yep. And that's true, certainly in abuse. You know, like if, if you're being verbally abused by a parent, you know, if you were an adult, you'd be able to say, hey, don't talk to me that way or get up and leave, right? Mm-hmm. The child can't do any of that. And it's the same thing with a narcissistic parent. If they're being used for the gratification of the parent, there's nothing they can do because they don't have any power. Right. And so that's one thing that happens. The the other, the next thing is one that I mentioned before, meaning that if the child say is good at math mm-hmm. and I'm not good at math, or maybe the child is a great singer and, you know, I wish I could be a great singer, then I would probably not support that very well because I don't want the child to outshine me. Mm. I don't know that any of this is a conscious choice. It's all, un- okay. this is all an unconscious process mm-hmm. because you know, if you go back to the those qualities of being a narcissist, is I need the admiration. Well, what happens if then all of a sudden my kid is getting all the admiration? That doesn't feel good to me, right? If all the focus is on my kid, let's say she's a great dancer or he's a great football star or something like yeah. that and plays tennis really well, then that doesn't feel good to me because mm-hmm. they're getting they're getting the focus, not me. So and, let me ask a quick question. Mm-hmm. What is the likelihood of the child of a narcissist growing up to be narcissistic themselves? Well, that's a very good question. And so I would say it's it's certainly there's some research that shows it's intergenerational. And I think it's learned, but I think it's more you've learned these behaviors as opposed to being a true narcissist. So okay. I think it's I think it's difficult to that you would grow up to have that narcissistic personality disorder, I think that you would probably learn some behaviors. So for for instance, one of the things that narcissistic parents do is they're pretty good at manipulation Mm. and, you know, giving a guilt trip or blaming or shaming negative comparisons. And so I think that if you grow up in that type of environment, and, and I've seen this, then you, it's likely that you grow up to be an adult who does that same type of thing. So I think it's more common that the adult is going to grow up to portray some of these characteristics. Okay. Some of these characteristics rather than being, say, a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. And Mm -hmm. so they've learned these behaviors. But so manipulation, I think narcissistic parents are really great at manipulation, at getting what they want. Mm -hmm. And, And again, the child, right, given that power differential, I think the child realizes, okay, this doesn't feel right, but there's nothing they can do about it. And so Mm -hmm. they're stuck. Narcissistic parents, we talked about lack of empathy. And I think we've talked in uh, previous episodes how the very best way, maybe, I, I don't know that it's the only way, for children to learn empathy is from their parents. I mean, that's yeah. one of our primary tasks is to help our children learn empathy. Well, what if you are raised by a parent then who doesn't have any empathy? Mm-hmm. Then that goes back to that question you asked. Are you likely to grow up maybe lacking empathy? I think that could be true. Okay. Now, there's some people who say that you can actually flip and do the opposite, that because you experienced 
no empathy growing up, you then become a person who is very empathetic. Okay. So I think it can go both ways. Yeah. And you can become a person who is not manipulative at all. So I don't want listeners to think if you're raised by narcissistic parents, this is what's going to happen to you. Right. I think you can go either way. Yeah. And I've seen people go either way. Another thing, uh, narcissistic parents are generally jealous and possessive. It goes back to what we were talking about. I'm jealous of my child Mm -hmm. because this child is maybe doing better at something than I did. I'm possessive. I see my child more as a possession because they're here to fulfill my needs. I'm not here to fulfill their needs. Yeah. So those are some, oh, the last one I want to cover is neglect. I've seen, I've actually seen this. And so if you, I mean, if you think about a parent who is focused on their own needs Mm -hmm. and their own desires, it's going to be hard for them at times to think about what does my child need. And that translates into neglect in many, many cases. In fact, I know someone who who had narcissistic parents and incredible neglect that they experienced. Which, I mean, that's tough. And, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to all of this, I'm wondering, how does a kid turn out normal? <laughs> but then, <laughs> that's, but, <laughs> that's a good question. I think that's why Harville Hendricks has that saying. How, how do we turn out normal? Which is, you know, when I see when I see people in my office and they come in and they're wanting help with change, I always point out to them. I say, look how well you're doing. Yes. We, yeah. People need to realize how well they're doing. Given, and I've heard some really terrible abuse stories, and yeah. I point out, I say, you are functioning really well mm-hmm. for someone who has experienced this. So the. Um, Kind of the summation of this particular part of the podcast is that I think children of narcissists can often be overly sensitive. They're they're deeply insecure. Right. That's certainly true. They're unable, and this is something I think that I see in all of them, they're unable to see themselves as good or worthy or lovable. Mm -hmm. And that that is so sad. And that is really hard. But when those neurons get wired that way, that really has a negative effect on many parts of your life and especially in relationships. Very hard. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, because childhood is really a very vulnerable time. Yes. I mean, you know, you're completely dependent on someone for all of your needs. And, you know, when those needs aren't getting met, you find ways to cope. And often mm-hmm. they're not always the best ways. Right. I think I've said this before. They work generally pretty well in childhood. As soon as you become adult, those coping mechanisms that we bring from childhood into adulthood tend to be really maladaptive. Yeah. And, you know, I want to also point out that all kids learn to cope with something or other as a child, because no one is going to have the perfect childhood. Right. Right. I mean, I've said before, I have wonderful parents whom I love. I respect. I appreciate the way they raised me, but I've got childhood scars from the fact that they're human beings raising other human beings. Right. And so I think as human beings, and like you said last week, our brains are plastic and human beings are amazingly resilient. And Mm -hmm. so I don't want someone listening to this, who's maybe just coming to the realization of, oh, I am 18, about to be on my own for the first time, and my parents were narcissists, and to feel hopeless, because that's very much not the case. I mean, right. 
human beings are resilient and we're really good at coming back and we're really good at reframing our perspective and we're really good at forming new habits. It can take work and it can be hard, but we're pretty good at it. Right. And I agree in the, this isn't hopeless. I think and we're going yeah. to go through some steps that I think help with healing, but uh, I want to remind listeners that the way our brain we rewires is through behavior, yes. consistent behavior changes. And you can't rewire your brain just by thinking about it. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. And so it's really about changing the behaviors. And that's why, as in past episodes, I've talked about how you can decide the type of person you want to be. You decide the qualities and then you come up with the behaviors that a person who, let's say the quality is honest. I want to be an honest person. Well, how does an honest person behave? That's the behavior that then changes the brain. Right. Now, I want to say something and correct me if I'm wrong. You say that you can't just change the brain just by thinking, but it sounds like thinking is definitely a very big part of it because you have to cognitively think about this new behavior and then act. Does right, that right. Sound- you have to, okay. you have to go through that process. And I, one of the things when we did the Stephen Covey book mm-hmm. that I really liked that I think it was a something about ideas happen twice, like you have it yes. in your brain and then, so you think about it first and then you actually do it. And that's what mm-hmm. we're talking about. You think about it and then there's some sort of behavior. Yeah. And so, yes, you're right. It goes together, but so you have to have that mental process. And I think one of the things that therapy often does for people, it helps them get that insight. Mm-hmm. So that's just another word about the mental process. And so when, when we get the insight, that is totally a mental process. Mm-hmm. And then you have to translate that in some way into some sort of behavior change or new yeah. behavior. And yeah. that's how you get that's how you get the rewiring of the brain. So you're right, right. There's a mental, there's a mental piece to it, but mm-hmm. the mental piece alone is not enough. Yeah. Yep. You have to act, right? right? I mean, you can't just hope to be, you know, a successful business person. You right. can hope and think about a successful business all you want, but until you actually put the work you into actually, it, yeah. you're you're not going to get anywhere. That's it exactly. That's it exactly. So how do you heal from this? Because we Mm -hmm. talked about, and I want to give listeners hope if this is what they experienced as a child. But I think the very first thing, and this is just kind of a hard step, and it's a mental step, of course, is that you have to acknowledge and admit the narcissistic behavior of the parents. Now, the reason that can be so hard is that the parent, you've grown up with this parent who thinks they're great. And I think sometimes that leaks out into the family that, and I've seen this before, the family is really great. Whenever I hear someone come in, I I ask them in the first session, typically about their childhood, and they say, I had the perfect childhood. That to me is this huge red flag, because I don't know that anybody has a perfect childhood. But if someone is using that term, I had the perfect childhood. I think, okay, I, we need to go a little bit deeper here. Yeah. I mean, because I think I had a pretty great childhood. Oh, that's know. different than perfect, though. No, I, it wasn't perfect. <laughs> I mean, they're, my parents are the first ones to admit they weren't perfect parents. But yeah. you know what? I love and respect them for trying. I know, but you can have a pretty great childhood. I think I had a pretty great childhood. Yeah. I mean, it certainly wasn't perfect. No. Uh, and so I think just when I hear that term, yeah. I had the perfect childhood. That says to me that something's gone on in the family where the family, I guess, myth was 
that we have the perfect family. And I've I've certainly seen that. So the first step is to recognize it and acknowledge it. And that that can be a really hard thing to do because sometimes you feel like you're being disloyal to Mm -hmm. the family or to your parents by acknowledging that something wasn't quite right. But I don't know that you can get very far unless you acknowledge that this is what happened. I think the next step is to learn all you can about, say, narcissistic personality disorder. There are actually a lot of good books. I'm not going to name any. If you just go on to, if the listeners go on to Amazon, there are a lot of good books that are written about, you know, growing up with a narcissistic parent that are specific to adult children who grew up with narcissistic parents. And I think the next step is to read and learn as much as you can about it. Then the the next step is I've used the term create a coherent narrative before. Okay. You can't change the past, but I think it's really important to make sense of it. Yes. And so being able to, so first you acknowledge, okay, my parents behaved this way. Here's what narcissism means. Here's what it did in my life. And so you make this connection of here's how I am behaving now as an adult that I can tie back to being raised by these narcissistic parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important step to make that link. I agree. And, you know, I can't tell you, and maybe this is just me personally, but there's been so many times where it's just been profoundly helpful just to understand and make sense of things that have happened in my life, of why they happened. You know, I mean, and people kind of, I think maybe sometimes tend to overlook that step, but mm-hmm. don't. I think that's a very important step because we said this last week as human beings, we like a cohesive narrative. It's, you know, it's like watching a good TV show. There's a plot and the plot ties in perfectly. Right. And we like that. There's And when you watch a show that doesn't have that, you know, it. exactly. this does not make any sense and it's not very rewarding. No. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. It's an important step to make a cohesive narrative of your life. And I think that this is the step where it can be tricky that it might feel like you're blaming your parents. And Mm. I I don't know that I have, when I have someone in my office, I don't use that term. I never blame the parents. I'm trying to help them understand the context of their life and how, because what it does is it takes their behavior, the adult, the behavior that they're trying to, to figure out now and it gives you a reason to say, okay, this is the way I'm behaving the way I am. And in a way it externalizes it because I think it's really easy to internalize it, to say there's something wrong with me. Mm. I'm manipulative. There's something wrong with me. Oh, wait, I now know that I saw this from my parents. And so now I learned how to be manipulative. And what that says is I can also unlearn it. If I exactly. learned how to be manipulative, then I can learn how to be not manipulative. Yeah. And, and that's the hope. So I think, you know, making sense, creating that coherent narrative is really important. There's going to be anger. I think anger at your parents yeah. and, you know, releasing the anger is going to be important. Anger is just as valid emotion as any other. It's what we do with it. Yes. That makes a difference, you know? And so I think they're a therapist, good therapist can help you release the anger. I think there are ways to, one of the things I suggest, write a letter, Mm -hmm. write a letter to the parent. And it doesn't mean you're going to send it. Right. It's just the act of getting, so a letter that where it's not censored at all, you're not holding back at all. 
Mm-hmm. Now, in, and I, what I say to the client is you may decide to send this, but that is not the purpose of this exercise. The purpose is of the exercise is to really get it out there, the anger out on paper. And then I think another step that's important is to share that with someone. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sure a spouse, a friend, a therapist. But I think to have someone witness the anger yes. that came from your childhood is really important. And also to understand it's going to take time to release that anger. I mean, yes. you say a therapist can help you to release the anger. Well, it's not like flipping a switch or opening right. the valve and the anger comes out. It's it's going to be a very, very slow leak. It's a slow have, leaky valve. I have clients who really want to open the valve, release the anger, but me kind of, you're right, it doesn't exist. And so mm-hmm. it's a process. It's a process. Yeah. That and it's time. it's okay to feel the anger. It's okay to be yes. angry. Right. You know, and be angry. Acknowledge the emotion. Don't try to run from it. Don't fight it. Just be angry. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person or, you know, that you're an angry person or that you're doing something wrong to feel anger. It yeah. just means that you're having a human experience and that's a good thing. And also, I want to go back to the blame, blaming your parents mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, I think, like you said, it's going to be very normal to feel that blame. But I think that there's a way to channel it and maybe redirect that blame because I don't think it's going to be helpful to just sit here and for the rest of your life, blame your parents. Or I guess maybe what it is, is blame implies an excuse for other behavior, right? Right. It's not going to work if you say, well, I am this way because of my parents. It's my parents' fault. That's not helpful or productive. No, it's not. You're right. It's not helpful to blame. And so I think you have to be able to step back and look at it and say, there are reasons I behave the way I do. Here's the experience in childhood that led me to behave this way. I can now change that. Yes. And so those are the steps, you know, the connecting the dots. And so the moving forward, I think that the way you move forward, then uh, let's just take manipulation. Let's say that you realize, okay, I can be manipulative, or maybe you're with a partner who points out that you're manipulative. And then you decide, okay, what's the opposite of being manipulative? How does a person behave if they aren't manipulative. Mm -hmm. And I think that then you define that behavior and you start working on it. So, you know, you have the mental process and now you have the behavior change. Yes, I think when you write it down, it's really important to write it down. I think it's really important to review it daily because then it puts it right up there in your frontal lobes Mm -hmm. and you can go throughout your day. It's like priming your frontal lobes and you're much more likely then to follow through and be able to change the behavior. Mm-hmm. And to catch it before. And that's how over time you change. Now, one of the things that I want to say in some cases, not all cases, in some cases, parents can be toxic and not good to be around. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly seen that. And sometimes you may, some people may feel the need to cut off all contact. And I have certainly seen situations where that is the healthiest for the for the client and the adult. Would you also say that it's fairly rare? I think it, it's more rare. Yeah. It's, okay. Because it's not something I certainly advocate. I think that right. you can, I think that you can have behavior change without cutting off mm-hmm. the contact. But there are some cases and there's an old book. This is an old, old book, probably 20 years old. It's called Toxic Parents, mm-hmm. and which is a pretty good one for people if they're interested to read. And so again, I think it's more rare. You're right. Yeah. 
but uh, sometimes it's a necessary step. What I've seen is you're being in contact with the parent who is somewhat toxic, inhibits your ability then to grow and progress the way you would want to. Okay. And I think more often than not, there's a way to set good boundaries. It's boundaries. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like the word boundaries. Cause I think, I think most of the time you can set boundaries with parents. Here's the reason some people consider just cutting it off because actually it's easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The setting of boundaries and following through with the boundaries and doing all you need to help the parent change actually takes focus and work. I think it's the healthier alternative. Yes. Actually, but uh, for everyone, but again, sometimes in those rare cases, you may need to cut off contact. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the takeaway from this is one, uh, to be raised by narcissistic parents is pretty damaging. Yeah. And it sets you up for a whole whole host of mental health problems. There's more depression typically in adult children of narcissistic parents. I think that there are relationship problems more relationship mm-hmm. problems. I think once you recognize what this is, and it, it's like having a plan, I, yeah. I really think it's important to have a behavioral plan after you've you know gone through that mental process that you can change this. We get to decide who we are as adults. Yes. And the way we do that is through behavior. Yes. We certainly do not get to just blame our parents for the way we are as adults. Right. We can acknowledge the role that they have played. That's a very important, healthy part. But ultimately, you have to take responsibility for yourself and for your own actions. You are 100% responsible. And see, again, that was probably a trait that your narcissistic parent had, is they didn't often take responsibility for their actions and for their inappropriate behavior. Don't do that. Probably never. They probably never took responsibility. Yeah. So, you know, don't be like them. (laughs) Right. No, you can change. I mean, that's that's the important thing is that I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't believe that people can change. I really believe people can. And that's a hard process, though. But it's a very rewarding process to Mm -hmm. set about to have a goal of where you want to be and then to get there. Yeah. And so in wrapping up, In addressing what our listener talked about, about not repeating these behaviors when having children of their own, I'm guessing that if you can correct your own behaviors, right, you're then going to avoid inflicting these behaviors on your children, correct? You have to identify them, right? So you identify, okay, my mother or my mother or father didn't let me be independent. And so the poll, you know, might be, this is what you learned. Oh, I can't let my child be independent, but we all want our children eventually to be independent functioning adults. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of a stepwise way, you know, you get there, like five is not that independent. 15 is much more independent. Yes. And so, you know, letting them and be independent, supporting them in, in becoming the, the person they want to be, Yes. not becoming the person we want them to be or think they should be, but becoming the person they want to be. See, and that's how you change that. Well, and let's be honest, I think to an extent, all parents struggle a little bit with letting their children become (laughs) the person they want to be, right? I think as parents, we want certain things for our children and it can be hard when they maybe don't want the same things we want. But, you know, again, that's the lesson all parents have to learn, I think. Right. But I think, see, I think sometimes 
what the child wants is to know that their parents are going to support them. So my yes. oldest child is a pediatrician. She's been on this show before. Mm-hmm. Back in, I think it was as she was a senior in high school, what she was going to do is she was going to go off back east somewhere and become a potter. Okay. And, which, you know, I, I don't know that she would have been happy being a potter. She'd never done pottery. No. <laughs> she just, she'd never done it. Okay. That's right. So, you know, we were supportive. Okay, great. You know, go be a potter. I mean, obviously that's not where she ended up, but I think yeah. often what is needed for children is the freedom to know I can do this and I will have the support of my parents. Yes. That's, yeah. the, that's the important piece. Yes. So you can be the child of a narcissistic parent and grow up to be a very healthy, functioning, yes. normal adult and yes. raise very healthy, functioning, normal children. Yes, you can. So that's, that's our episode in a nutshell. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we could have just done this in five minutes, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, come on. It's us. No, we couldn't. <laughs> All right. So next week, we are going to get into human behavior. And so we're going to be talking about this video by Robert Sapolsky. And we will have the video linked in today's show notes. Now, this video is an hour long. And so you don't necessarily have to watch the whole video in order to follow along with the podcast, right? You'll be just fine not listening to it. But if anyone is interested in watching it, it's going to be there, or maybe you'll, we'll also have it linked in next week's episode. So in case you listen and then decide you want to watch it. Right. So I'm going to give a little teaser. Yes. And I've told you this before this Robert Sapolsky, he's a biologist at Stanford and he believes that we don't have any free will and he, and he will make his case for yes. that in this hour long video. I don't agree with that, but I think, it, I think it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. And and he makes a pretty good argument. And so he has he has some good points to the argument. I don't think it's true that we have no free will. But anyway, that that might get the interest of some of our listeners. Yeah. We're gonna talk about human behavior, which is gonna be yeah. fun because yeah. you know, we like to talk. So we'll yes. see you all next week. <laughs> have a good week. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge.